Hi everybody, today is the 18th of August 2021. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous 100 Pounder Special Focus Meeting. Um, my name is Rita Q and today I am absolutely delighted to introduce Melissa C. Melissa has been in OA um, for quite a long time now and will share her experience, strength and hope for us all. Thank you so much, Melissa. Hey, thank you. Thank you, Rita. Thank you everybody for inviting me here. Um, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm coming to you from New York um, and I laugh because I'm told I have an accent and <laughs> I don't hear my accent, but when I hear yours, everybody's here, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of accents. So um, anyway, it's a, oh, I'm starting my timer. Okay. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, I'm going to start off um, by sharing my photos and I especially, um, well, I love to share my photos because they're a visual representation of what it looks like to have experienced a miracle. And I say those of us who have suffered with the disease of compulsive overeating in the form of morbid obesity, um, we actually, I say like, um, I'm lucky <laughs> because, um, because my physical transformation is, it's visible. It's clear and it's visible. And because of that, it seems to give more weight to the words I have to say. Um, I know for myself, a picture would get my attention. And so that's really the point of these. And, and it's not to get the attention so that, you know, you're listening to me, like I've got a secret message for anybody, but that um, the solution offered works. I want you to know this works and it works 100% for the people who do it 100%. That's really it. I, um, there's nothing unique and special about me other than um, I did the work and I continue to do the work. Um, so I, mean, I think, I don't know if this makes it any better, um, this way to show the pictures or worse, but the first photo um, is me with, it's 20 years ago, a little more than 20 years ago because my daughter is over 20. And, um, and you could see when I gave birth to her, it was more than just pregnancy weight. It was, it was I was suffering with morbid obesity. And I thought for sure, um, here, here's my loving husband, our beautiful baby. Of course I was gonna lose the weight. Of course I was gonna lose the weight, you know, miracle. Um, and then here I am, the picture next. Um, my daughter got older and I got larger. So it didn't work. It didn't work. Um, love of a family, having what you want doesn't work. Um, and then this is me um, further on. Um, what I think this is the one I want to show. Hold on, you know why? Okay, so here's me with my husband and my daughter. Um, we're out to dinner. We were often going out to dinner. That's what we did for recreation because I could do it and I liked it. Um, and I ate, you know, that's what, that's what we did recreationally. Um, only after these wonderful dinners out, um, I would come home and continue to eat. I'm, I'm looking, there's this little, um, leftovers doggy bag, you know, we call it like the leftover box on the table. I am certain that it didn't remain in the refrigerator overnight. I, it was probably leftover from my daughter and I probably ate it because that there was very 
few times that there were leftovers. Um, this is me in the red. There was a party in my house. I didn't look like I was throwing a party um, because in my despair, in this point in my life, I could barely get a brush through my hair. I just, um, I was so beaten down. And here's me on a beautiful vacation, my sunglasses. I was actually abstinent on this vacation until about this point, <laughs> not long afterwards. Um, I picked up a frozen tropical drink, um, which when I share my story with you is something that I have done on more than one occasion in the state of abstinence, knowing exactly where it leads me to. For someone like me, a frozen tropical drink, um, it's dessert in a glass. And it, it's an immediate, it's it, the immediate reaction is um, compulsive eating. So that by the end of this vacation, I was nowhere near abstinent, no way, shape or form. And I wasn't really happy either. That's the truth. Um, here's me in the leopard sweater. Um, I'm deaf, that was like the worst. That was the worst period for me. Um, uh, not long after I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I, um, again, because I've been there before, but um, that period of time, my son now is 14. So um, I wanted him more than anything. We suffered a lot of losses between our two children. We'd, we actually lost a son in between. Um, and I was, I wanted this baby more than anything. And I could barely hold him because the size of my body and my stamina, I could hardly hold this child that I wanted more than anything. And it broke my heart. It just about broke my heart. Um, he had a ton of energy. I say had, cause now he's 14 and, um, he has a lot of energy for the Xbox. <laughs> Um, not as much energy, unless it's something he wants to do. <laughs> so um, he had a ton of energy at that point and I couldn't keep up with him. And I would, I would cry and beg this kid to stop moving. Can you imagine the child you longed for more than anything? And I'm like asking him to stop moving around so much. Um, here's me, I was abstinent at this point and I was losing weight. I was on my way. Um, you know, you could see there's a change between here and here. It was probably a huge amount of weight, although I'm still very large there. Because when you've got a lot of weight to lose, it takes a while, especially if you do it abstinently, sanely, under the guidance of a nutritionist. This is not a quick fix. I've lost weight before in many diets, and I had years earlier, I had lost 130 pounds in, I would say, under eight months like, like that, you know, um, and that weight when you, for me, when I lose it at that clip, I regain it just as even quicker. So, um, here's me with my sisters and my sister-in-laws. Um, I often would be drinking at these family occasions. I have a big, wonderful, loving, loud, overbearing, <laughs> sometimes obnoxious, um, but a lot, lot of love um, in my family. And when I'm in this state, I am not available to feel that love. In fact, I felt like there was a, a wall around me at all times. And I would come up to these family occasions. Um, I had to eat a lot to get 
through it. Spent a lot of time in the bathroom eating at these occasions, drinking. Um, and I had a list in my pocket. I'd say it was like a list in my pocket, an imaginary list, but it was there of everything that anybody has ever done to me in my family. And it could go back to when I was three. And, and it was like right there. Um, and, and so I was miserable at these family occasions where there was so much love for me. Um, here is a picture. This is me recovered actually. Does, I don't look it yet, right? Um, but I was at a family function here. I actually made a bas mitzvah for my daughter where I spent a fortune. We spent a fortune on this gorgeous affair with like a cocktail hour and more food and alcohol. There was a room for dessert. Can you imagine at the end of the party, a room for dessert and nothing in that room called my attention except for the people there. I actually felt attached, loving, involved. Um, I don't know what the majority of that food tasted like because I didn't taste it. Um, and nor did I want to. That was incredible to not want those things. It wasn't like I was doing it like this. I didn't have to say, oh my God, get me through that day. I knew I was gonna get through the day. Um, and, uh, and this is me, right? This is, this is me pretty much now. Um, got a little older, my hair gets a little blonder, um, <laughs> but every one of those dresses fits me um, and I know it. You know, I just pull them out of the closet and I wear them and that's miraculous. That's truly miraculous. So those are my photos. Um, and let me just put your back here. And um, sorry, my daughter just walked in on me. Um, so I'm gonna tell you that I'm certain that I was born a compulsive overeater. And um, I, I, I'm pretty certain because I was told that my first words were more and that I would yell from my crib as an infant more, more. And it was more baba, more bottle. And my parents' story is that um, they would wake up in the morning, I would be soaking wet, <laughs> and there would be bottles all on the floor around my crib because my siblings, I'm the youngest of five, and my siblings would just feed me all night long, all night long. Um, and I, it's like I never, I never seemed to be full, never seemed to be full. You know, my earliest memories are all food related also. I could tell you exactly what we ate at which occasion. If you take out a family photos of different events, I, I know what we ate there. How crazy is that, you know? Um, and I shared once with my husband, who's not a compulsive overeater. He loves food. He loves food. He's not a compulsive overeater. Um, because he still has like candy that I gave him like from... Uh, Valentine's Day. It, it's it's upstairs. <laughs> it still has it. Um, but uh, I said to him once, like, I, I, you know, all my early memories are of food. I think, you know, I think that's part of, you know, explains why I'm a compulsive overeater. And he said, mm, no, I have a lot of memories about food too. He said, I have a lot of really happy memories about food. And that's where I realized that we differed. 
See, his memories about food are happy memories about food. But my memories about food are memories of longing, of never feeling enough, never feeling like I got enough. You know, my, my mom would, um, every Friday, we would have this beautiful Friday night dinner. It was like a tradition in our house. Um, and my mom would wait online. I live in, a, in an area, I grew up in an area with a pretty well-known bakery. My mom would wait online at this bakery and buy a particular cake. And Friday night, the cake would come out. And before it was cut, I knew my piece wasn't enough, right? Like I, before there was even a piece on my plate, I was thinking, how am I going to get more of it? How am I going to get more of that? So I never received satisfaction from food. That is not a happy memory. That's a memory of longing. And that's how I always experienced food. If I... If I'm enjoying it, I'm not controlling it. And if I'm eating in a manner that's out of control, right? There was a part of me that wasn't enjoying it then either because the guilt, the horror, the shame, the fullness, the physical discomfort of ingesting enough, it's like a bottomless pit. I never felt satisfied. And so that was my experience with food. And um, if that's your experience with food, chances are you learn some tricks, right? Um, and suffer greatly. For me, I suffered with morbid obesity. I was up and down. Um, I learned a lot of tricks. I learned how to sneak. I learned how to hide. I learned how to get from my bedroom to the kitchen in the dark without making a sound. Like I knew which floorboards creaked from my bedroom to the kitchen because my parents lovingly monitored how much I ate. You know, I, and, and there was years where I was so resentful of that. I was like, they don't accept me. If they just loved me and accepted me as I am, maybe I wouldn't have a problem. See, I also found out that if I, I thought in Overeaters Anonymous, I had a couple of misconceptions. I thought you people were going to tell me why. Why do I do this? And really what I was hoping for was a place to assign some blame. That's what I was hoping for. You know, and basically I really wanted to pin it on my mom. <laughs> That's the truth. I just wanted to blame my mother. You know, which, okay, maybe she made a lot of mistakes, but um, so what, right? Because I'll tell you, I'm 52 years old. And if I'm still owned by the mistakes that my mother made when I was four, I'm in deep trouble, right? This is my life and I better start assuming some responsibility for it. And what I found out, you know, in, in, the, in the big book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which is what I use um, to get the answers for me, um, it says in the, in the chapter, there's a solution. It says opinions vary considerably as to why the alcoholic reacts differently from normal people. We are not sure. Once a certain point is reached, little can be done for him. We cannot answer the riddle. So the why question is an immature question. It's a question that a child asks. It's what my kids would ask when I would tell them that it's time to go to bed. And they would say, why? They don't really want to know why. 
What they want is they want it to be different. And that's really what I, that's really what it was when I was asking why. I just didn't want it to be true. Because um, even if I found out the why, unless I'm gonna get in a time machine and go back and redo my past, why is, is a pointless question. What am I gonna do about it is a better question, right? That's the real question. Um, you know, I heard also growing up um, a lot of frothy emotional appeal. And we're told in the doctor's opinion that seldom suffices, right? Frothy emotional appeal, appealing to me from an emotional perspective. Things like, you're a beautiful girl. You're a smart girl. You ought to be able to do something about this. You know, um, you're hurting yourself. You're killing yourself. My husband would say, my husband one time took out pictures of um, me when we were dating, right? And I was thin because I had lost a lot of weight before I met him. And he said, gosh, you look so beautiful here. And that's frothy emotional appeal. It was like a knife to my chest and it didn't work. It didn't work. It doesn't suffice. Um, you know, I, um, when I was 14 or 15, I went on a diet. Uh, I went on another diet. I dieted before then. I went on Weight Watchers before then. And I lost weight, actually. Um, I was young. I was like nine or 10. I lost 30 pounds. I became a lifetime member at like 10. Can you imagine? <laughs> 10. They gave me lifetime membership, which is hilarious. Because basically, it was really a reward for my mom. Because my mother put me on Weight Watchers. You know, she cooked me all the Weight Watchers food and I was in her home. And But now I'm 14 or 15 and I've got a little more autonomy. And around that time, I started gaining weight. And I look back at those pictures and I'm like, I don't know if I was really, I think I was going to be an obese person anyway, but I was just starting to gain weight there. And, um, and I thought, let me go on a diet. I'm going to really go on a diet. And I that was my first real experience with um, restricting. I starved. I starved and I exercised. Um, I drank uh, the shakes that were on the market then. I took, I went to the drugstore and I bought uh, diet pills, you know, over-the-counter diet pills. And I took that and I drank a lot of diet Pepsi or diet Coke or diet whatever it was. Um, and I lost weight very quickly. And I got very thin, very fast, and I got a ton of attention, and it was awesome. I have to tell you, I loved it. I was like, this is great. The attention is not what sent me back to the food, right? It wasn't. What happened was I came home one day, and there was something in the house. And, you know, without a spiritual solution, every human measure is going to fail for a woman like me. And what happened was there was something in the freezer and I turned the box over and I calculated how many calories it was to have one. And I had one. And then I said, well, how many calories is it if I had five? <laughs> and then I had five. And then before I know it, I ate the box. And I wanna tell you, it was like a cliff. It was like, I went over the edge of a cliff. And I, from 14 and 15, remember I had lost weight, I got skinny. I gained a hundred pounds in high school. And I can tell you it started on that day. I could, something happened. I crossed a line. 
and I couldn't get back on the other side of it. And so the pain and humiliation, um, that doesn't work either. Humiliation and pain is not an effective strategy for, for um, snapping me into reality. There is no snapping me into reality. You know, when I graduated from college, I was 280 pounds. I don't know what that is in, 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 in your measurement, sorry. But in, it's 280 pounds, which is, more, which is morbidly obese for a, for a woman who's 5'5". Five five. Um, and my life was a mess at that point. I, um, oh, it's 20 stone. Is that what it is? Okay. I, um, that sounds a lot. <laughs> that sounds a lot. I, um, I went to OA for the first time at that point, And I found out about the allergy of the body. Um, and what happened was I was given a food plan now and it worked. They gave me back in the day, they actually would give you, it was called gray sheet. I don't know if they do it anymore. Funny thing is my food plan doesn't look so different from that. But back then, um, I worshiped abstinence was my God. And the food plan was my religion. It was what I practiced to get to this God abstinence. And actually what I found out is that abstinence is not God, by the way. Like those of you, like hint, it's just a foot in the door. Once I'm abstinent, I realize, holy heck, I need God. I need God because the God of food has been removed, right? But back then, abstinence was my God. And I was young. And so there's two stories in the big book that explains what happened to me. Um, and they're both in more about alcoholism, which is one of my favorite chapters because it really explains what this problem is. Um, and it's on page 32. I was like the man of 30. He didn't stay dry. You know, I didn't stay dry for 25 years. I stayed dry for more like five. Um, I fell victim, which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink like other men. But like him, I gathered all my forces, attempted to stop altogether and found I could not. And then there's another story of Fred and everything for him was great. And it's on page 41. Physically, I felt fine. No pressing problems or worries. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon. So what happened for me was when I met my husband, I was thin because I had come to Overeaters Anonymous and I had lost weight and I got thin and I met my husband, which by the way, was my goal. When I came into OA then, I had a couple of goals. It was get a better job and land a man. That was it. And I got them. Those were the two things that happened. Now the better job and the man didn't save me because on my honeymoon, I looked around, I was a young bride, I was thin, happy and I saw other young brides thin and happy I thought I was normal and they were drinking beautiful frozen tropical drinks with their husbands and I thought of course I can do that of course I can do that and I couldn't and I could tell you just like that day when I came home from school and I had that thing in the freezer same thing it was like I let it out and I couldn't get it back and on my honeymoon, up until the time I had that frozen tropical drink, we went on excursions, 
we went hiking, we went up to the falls, we went snorkeling, we did all sorts of things. After I had that frozen tropical drink, I sat at the pool bar. That's when I did. And why did I sit at the pool bar? I'm not an alcoholic, but I know for me, drink alcohol and I go right to the food. It's, it's, it's a gateway, it's a connection. But at the swim up pool bar, they feed you all day. They actually will bring you food. I sat in the water all day and ate and ate and ate. And by the time I left the honeymoon, nothing fit me, nothing fit. Um, and um, I didn't know that I was powerless at that point because I didn't want to stop. We actually were having fun. My husband likes to eat. He enjoys eating like normal people, enjoys drinking, enjoys eating. Except when I came home from that honeymoon, none of the clothes fit me because I gained weight like nobody's business. Um, and I couldn't get back on that plan. That God of abstinence was nowhere to be found. Couldn't, I couldn't get it. And I spent the next 20 years trying to get it. And if you think it's humiliating to gain a hundred pounds in high school, it's humiliating and abusive I would say to a marriage to gain that kind of weight. I gained so much weight so quickly and I was mortified. I was mortified. I didn't want our friends to see us. I was embarrassed in front of his family. None of them knew me as a fat person. Um, you know, my experience with this disease, I broke toilet seats. I broke kitchen chairs. I actually couldn't sit in the kitchen chairs in my own home. I didn't fit in my own armchairs in my kitchen. I have to tell you today, I eat all my meals in an armchair because I wanna feel the boundaries. I wanna feel that discipline, that perimeter around me. It, by the way, it's one of the things that keeps me abstinent. It's one of those things that reminds me, I am, I am just borrowing that seat that I can have I can lose it at any moment if I so choose, right? Um, I, you know, I had dangerously high blood pressure at the height of my disease. Um, I didn't want to die, but I couldn't stand living anymore. That's how I felt. I would lay in bed at night and I would actually snore myself awake. Um, and then I would, um, Crying. I would oftentimes cry in my bed, um, thinking about my kids across the hall. I really thought that they're going to wake up one morning and I'm going to be dead. They're going to find their mother dead. Um, and yet I woke up in the morning and I did the same thing all over again. It was like I couldn't get off that treadmill couldn't get off it. It was so painful. The pain, you know, um, I want to say that people who don't have this disease don't understand. And they think that people who are morbidly obese are weak, right? That they don't care, that they're, you know, and that nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, do you know, it took all the strength I had to get on a plane when I was over 300 pounds, knowing as I would walk down the aisle that people, people are not nice. They look away. They avert their eyes. They don't give you eye contact. 
because they're praying, God, don't let her sit next to me. Don't let her sit next to me. And that is a painful way to be walking out into the world. Um, and, you know, it's, um, and what's even more painful is feeling that way about yourself. Feeling like, you know what? If I had a choice, buddy, I wouldn't sit next to me either. That, you know, if you're thinking that this problem doesn't, isn't big enough for God, isn't important enough for God, that's, that's baloney. Because I know that my loving creator does not want any of his creations feeling that way about themselves. And what happened for me was I reached a point where I could no longer stand it another minute. And I took hold of someone's hand in whom the problem had been solved. And I stopped debating and I stopped saying, hmm, this sounds a little crazy. This doesn't sound right. Or, you know, or I stopped saying things like, well, yeah, that just won't work for me. Or I don't believe in God. Or I stopped saying anything that was gonna get in between me and having this spiritual experience. And, you know, and for me, I say that that's, um, that's letting go of contempt prior to investigation. Contempt is thinking that anything is beneath your consideration. And step one tells me that only an act of providence, only a miracle is going to save me, right? And if you're someone who requires a miracle, like I required a miracle, nothing should be beneath your consideration. People who know that they need a miracle are willing to do all sorts of things. And that's where it began for me with willingness. Willingness is the key that unlocks the door, right? And I began to take action after action after action. And I followed the 12 steps and I still follow the 12 steps. Um, they're a recipe. They are a step-by-step -step recipe for how to have an experience with the miraculous. I take this program, my program of recovery, very seriously. I love nothing more than sharing my story because I know that my pain now has a great ability to help other people. I know that those pictures, when I look at the pictures of me in morbid obesity, I love that woman. That woman gave birth to me. Right? She went through all sorts of things so that I could be here today. And, um, and so grab hold of anyone's hand who might be able to help. And with that, I will pass. Beautiful, Melissa. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll just stop the recording.